0: Hey
1: there, fitness friends, mental health champions, anxiety warriors. Welcome to 40,000 Steps Radio. I'm your host, Christopher Heimerman, and I am not a licensed healthcare professional. Not a doctor, not a counselor, not a father of three sets of twins. No, I'm a guy with 1,099 days of sobriety. And I'm a guy with a gumption to put his story out there. No, I I am. I'm a parent to one set of twins, but I have on the podcast. I'm so spoiled to have on Josephine at Lurie, who is the mother of. Three sets of twins and a singleton just for fun. She's got seven kids. Josephine has a new book coming out called Five Minute Mindfulness for Pregnancy. She graciously shared her journey with miscarriages, fertility issues, and going the route of using a surrogate not once but twice. She's an open book and an absolutely beautiful soul. So glad to have her here and to have all of you along with us. I'm looking out the window and it's a beautiful day for us to get our 40,000 steps in. Let's get it. If you're new here, my wife and I are the proud parents of twin eight-year-old girls. They are simply amazing. They're the loves of my life. If you're in the process of deciding whether to enter this, you know, crazy thrill ride that is parenthood, I got some tips for you. Josephine at Luri has a lot of tips for you. But if you're here, you know, because we talk about mental health in this podcast, there is a terrific through line that Josephine and I chat about at the very tail end of this episode. I asked her how I, as an ally, can support a friend or a colleague of mine who is going through the process of, of trying to get pregnant. Uh, you know, friends of mine have gone through IVF. They've tried any number of different methods. Many of them have struggled. Many of them have beautiful success stories, and some of them don't. So, I asked her at the end, I was like, you know, how do I provide support? What's the right way for me to support somebody who's going through this? And her answer was a beautiful one. And it's such a universal theme that she recommended rather than trying to provide answers or insights, to simply be there with the person who is struggling, be there for them to vent, be there to provide comfort. And it reminds me of, a story that one of my counselors had told me. It's about a guy that he knew who had lost somebody. Uh, I think it was a family member who had passed away. And at the funeral, everybody and their brother, you know, continues going up to this guy. I'm here for you. Anything you need, what do you need from me? And it puts this level of expectations for us who are grieving and struggling to tell this ally who has all the right intentions and beautiful intentions to explain to them how they can support you. When in all actuality, if I'm struggling with depression or if I'm going through something, I have no idea how you can support me. So this guy leaves the funeral home, can't deal with it anymore, feeling overwhelmed and frustrated and angry, frankly. And so he walks down by the lake down by the pier, walks to the edge of it, sits down. He's got his feet dangling over the edge. He's just fuming, but he's trying to take some deep breaths. And he hears footsteps behind him. He turns around and he sees a friend of his. And he says, so help me, God, if you say that you're here for me, I'm, I'm going to punch you. I just can't deal with it anymore. And his friend sits down and he says, no, I I, I just want you to know I'm here with you. And the importance of that preposition cannot be overstated. That when we tell somebody who's struggling, I'm here with you, I'm here with you on this journey. I'm not here to provide solutions or to fix anything. Makes all the difference in the world. So I'm glad that we landed on that universal theme. However, as you might expect, the bulk of our conversation is spent talking about different paths to parenthood. I find it to be a fascinating conversation simply as an objective listener. But if you yourself are exploring uh parenthood how to get pregnant how to how to have a successful pregnancy and to to feel the feels without being completely overwhelmed with it you're going to absolutely love this hey so speaking of mindfulness you're going to want to check out my very favorite running coach michelle quirk and her business mindful marathon i say it on the podcast a lot exercise is medicine well my favorite pediatrician and running coach michelle quirk She's helping countless people get healthy and realize their potential through her business, Mindful Marathon. Maybe you're looking to run a mile without stopping to walk or you're training for a 5K or a marathon, any number of distances. Maybe you're a former track star who hasn't laced them up in years. Michelle meets her clients exactly where they are and she gets results. She does so by building you an individualized training plan She's with you every step of the way with regular calls, check-ins, and support. Go to mindful-marathon.com right now and click on that purple button in the upper right, the one that says schedule a call. Take advantage of a free consultation. Every runner starts from somewhere, even if that mile is zero. Michelle's going to meet you there. She's going to root for you, and she's going to celebrate with you at the finish line. So go to mindful-marathon.com right now and start your journey today. And with that, we're all set. Y'all ready? This is my conversation with who I now consider a dear, dear friend, Josephine At Atlurie. I knew that I could count on you to arrive with a nice set of headphones because you, you host the podcast yourself, don't you?
0: I do. Yep. It's called um, responding to life. It's about health, fertility, and parenthood.
1: I'm curious about your timeline. Like mindfulness is obviously a huge part of your story. It's what you do. Uh, when did mindfulness come into play? When did you decide I'm gonna I'm gonna launch a podcast? I'm gonna make this my livelihood.
0: Yeah. Um. That's a, a great question. The podcast I actually started right before. Uh, the pandemic hit. And mindfulness was an ongoing thing just for myself personally, not as a profession um, for many years back. But it was, uh, it was funny enough, I was working for a fitness company. I was trying to help them with their total wellness. And I was telling them that if they're really approaching total wellness, that they needed to also address the mind, the mindset And with mindset, a great way to do that for many people would be mindfulness. And so I had enrolled myself in this teacher training course for the purposes of bringing it back to this job. And lo and behold, I I actually quit right before, but I was signed up for this teacher training and long story short, here we are. And I just, I fell in love with it, but that's typically how I go into things. I just sort of go. Head in first, and then figure the rest out. <laughs> I yeah,
1: mean- no, I can I can relate. I'm eternally shooting from the hip, like acting now and figuring it out later. Uh, so when I heard about your story, I immediately gravitated toward the mindfulness because this is a podcast about mental health. But what really hooked me is as a father of one set of twins, I, I wanted to pick your brain about my goodness three sets of twins can you kind of walk me through for starters the timeline like i know that when i read you know about your story it said that you had a 17 year journey toward motherhood does that mean that that we went through 17 years before before you finally started having kids or adopting kids and stuff or or is or is it a 17 year journey altogether? A
0: 17 year journey altogether. It did take, okay. <laughs> <laughs> then I would have really good face cream.
1: <laughs> I was going to say, I need to know your skincare regimen.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, my husband and I, we, we, knew we'd have to pursue alternative paths to parenthood right from the get go because of an illness that he had. And so when we were, we were married for a couple of years and then we knew it would take some time. So we jumped right in. We, we went immediately into IVF, which, you know, for many, they have to go through so many years of doing other things first, so I considered that a blessing that we were able to just skip all that, um, but it didn't work. Naively, we thought it would work immediately because we were young, and um, it didn't work for a number of years. It finally did work, and then we had a second trimester loss of twins, and it was at that point that I really had an opportunity to, to just pause, and and take care of myself and grieve and Mm -hmm. i thought i fully addressed it but i'm sure we'll come back later to it it really the trauma of trying to conceive um, came back to rear its ugly head in different ways but at that point you know we decided let's pivot and we pivoted to international adoption and that's when we welcomed our first son home after having him at home like just the weight of all of that, that burden of trying to conceive finally came off our shoulders. We were able to enjoy him for a, a year, and we thought, okay, let's just try this one last time, and if not, then we're happy, we're good, um, and it worked. We switched facilities. We did this out-of-state sort of IVF treatment, and we brought home twins, but it was a really um, – it wasn't a great pregnancy. I hated I'm, – I'm very honest about it. I hated every minute of it, which was not mm-hmm. – uh, what I had expected it to be like. And, and trying to reconcile that was really hard for myself.
1: Well, and who does, we have this romanticized, like visual or perception of being pregnant and how it's, it's this beautiful thing. How, however, I mean, for a lot of folks, that's not in touch with reality because of you know the the physiological things that you know the 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 mental struggles that you go through what exactly did did you hate about it was was it all of the above <laughs>
0: Well, <laughs> yeah, no, and uh it was it was that I was living in fear, so I was really scared of my body, oh God um, yeah. having that loss before, and the problem with that is that there there was no explanation. Uh, what was given was unexplained loss, unexplained infertility. And so they, you know, they basically threw the kitchen sink at me, knowing that this is my last go at it. And so they, you know, had a surgery where they had to close up my cervix. But then they also put me on modified bed rest. And so it was just in no way fun at all. I only think, I only took one picture At the very end because i didn't want to Mm -hmm. jinx the whole process and Mm -hmm. i had none of the the things that other people have like the shower and everything i was just completely in my head about the whole thing as you can see i did not have mindfulness and meditation at that time i really could have used it and that you know is part of the reason i'm like that fuels my passion to help other people because i wish i had these tools
1: what we were talking about the, at the top of the conversation of introducing mindfulness into total wellness that came after the fact like later in your story it sounds like yes
0: timeline wise yes you know i didn't work throughout the whole um up until this point of giving birth to our first set of twins uh, i was dabbling in some things for myself but it wasn't it wasn't that other career in in total wellness and then mindfulness that came that came um with the second set of twins which is what happened many years later, you know, during IVF, you get to save all of these. We were lucky because we saved many embryos. You know, you get a letter every year reminding you of their existence. And after working so hard to create them, we just, we couldn't give up on them, but I just knew that I couldn't do it. And, and I didn't own up. I, I kept talking about the physical aspect, of not being able to carry, I never brought up the mental aspect of it, which was a big component. I haven't been able to own up to that really up until maybe like the last two years when I dove into the fertility advocacy community Mm
1: -hmm. because
0: it seemed so taboo to say that a big piece of this was that I just mentally could not handle it. So it was much easier for me to say physically, I just could not risk it and I just could not do it because that was also another piece of it, but a big piece was the mental component. And and so anyway, um, about five years passed and we decided, well, let's pursue surrogacy because now we have the capability to do so. And that's when we partnered with a surrogate and she carried two embryos for us. So that was IVF um, um, set of twins number two, two boys. The first one was boy and a girl. And then, um, there are big gaps between our kids.
1: And I'm about to get a whale of an education. When you have a surrogate, uh-huh. is, is do you find out pretty quickly? Was it your intention for it to be twins with the surrogate? Or was this a, a, a lovely surprise that it was twins again?
0: Well, uh, it's changing now. But back then, to increase your rate of success, you would put in two embryos. You know, a lot of people don't have the means to keep trying. And right. so, um, it's healthier, it's much safer to implant one embryo. And so you see a lot of twins because of that fact that they're just trying to increase their rate of success.
1: So what was that moment like? So
0: when we found that we were getting, having another set of twins, uh, it, was a, it wasn't as surprising before because, you know, we had the first set and then the second set, it was a little shocking for sure. But Mm -hmm. it was more shocking once we actually got into it. Once we stepped into the role, now having to manage five children to go from three to five, that was, Mm -hmm. that is what drove me to mindfulness.
1: (laughs) 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 There it is. We have closed the loop (laughs) because my wife and I had our twins and I always wanted to have three children but the the mere prospect because of course if you have a set of twins you're more likely to have another set of twins compared to the average pregnancy so the just the mere thought of having another set of twins was enough for us to say you know what two's great we're we're not we're not going to roll the dice and hope for a third out of fear of having a fourth it, hey before we get into that i i want to i want to make sure that that I ask you about this before it gets away from me in your first pregnancy, when you're having your first, uh, I'm sorry, your first set of twins. At what point in your pregnancy did you finally take and share that first photo?
0: Oh, I didn't. Um,
1: or did you not share it?
0: I I didn't share it. It was back in the day. So those twins are 13 now. And so it was Uh pre- pre Instagram pre all of that. I mean, I think we had mm-hmm. Facebook, I think. Um, yeah, but it was a
1: different face. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah. So and we were living in New Hampshire. So we were away from everyone. Mm-hmm. So it was very easy for myself to just go inward, mm-hmm. like physically and, and everyone gave me my space because of what had happened. So I didn't mm-hmm. share that until probably many years later.
1: Now, I think if if we were writing like the Hollywood script it would be that you have your twins and it's this life affirming moment and everything's fine and all the struggle that you went through you're just suddenly healed and everything's great. What was it realistically like for you when when you had your twins emotionally? Was it relief? Was it joy? What what was that experience like for you when you had your first two?
0: Relief is a is a great word. Uh, it was the moment, I describe it as the moment that I was finally able to Just breathe i felt like i was holding my breath throughout that entire pregnancy Mm -hmm. and just the moment they were finally there i just felt that weight off my shoulders and that okay this part of it is done we're good now we're finally Mm -hmm. we're finally good and um the fear like that the weight of fear is just immense and so i felt that lifted and so it was. It was. It was a passing through that piece of the journey.
1: Is is that a reason why? I suppose because you have that five year gap. What was behind the five year gap? What was it being in a place to have more children? Was it? Was it a matter of? I, I guess I guess. Tell me what was the turning point where you decided? You know what? Three is not enough. <laughs> <laughs> well
0: three uh we always joke we wanted a big family when i meant big family i meant you know like three maybe four but it was really that letter that we received every year it was this letter of like okay you have to pay for the freezing storage if not then you have these options in front of you and none of them felt right like discarding them um donating them for scientific experiments, mm-hmm. or donating them to another couple, which would have been lovely. But just knowing that my child was out there, it just would be heartbreaking for me, considering everything that we put into it. And so we just kept deferring, deferring, deferring. And at some point, we thought, well, we can't do this much longer. So we need to make a decision. And I guess it was at that five-year mark that I was like, okay, it's time to make, time to make a decision. and that's when we threw the dice,
1: <laughs> and, and 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 you rolled. Uh, I, I don't want to say you rolled snake eyes, but you rolled a pair. You <laughs> rolled a pair. Of, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So there, there's so much wrapped up in all of these methods of having children, all of these uh, paths to parenthood. I can't begin to imagine. The complex emotions that go into going the surrogate route. What was that like for you compared to to carrying children yourself?
0: Yes. So it was the thing about surrogacy is that there really isn't that much information about it. I mean, there's information about the process, but in terms of actually like people talking about what they went through. There isn't at least, you know, that many, like six, seven years ago when we first started looking into it. It was really very hush hush.
1: That's that. That is precisely why I have you here. Because I mean, the idea is one of the reasons I was so excited to have you on is because folks are going to be listening to this. And this is sort of a what to expect when you're expecting a, suri- a surrogacy pregnancy? So I, I can't thank you enough for kind of walking us through this, and I'm sorry for breaking up your mm-hmm. flow, but that, that's that's why I'm grateful for having you. Yeah,
0: no, I, 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 it's a pleasure to be able to speak about it because, like, I wish I had information, I wish I had other p- perspectives back when I was considering going into the process, and once I was actually in it, because the sur my, our surrogate. And me and my husband, we had to just figure it all out. And it's a different, you know, I liken it to relationships that you form throughout life. You kind of get a sense of the different roles that you play as you grow up, just witnessing things. So, what a relationship is like with family, with friends, with coworkers. But what's a relationship supposed to be like with a surrogate? We hadn't. Right. Yeah. Are we supposed to be friends? Are we not supposed to be friends? Am I supposed to be intrusive? How am I supposed to navigate this?
1: Some of us have a hard enough time figuring out figuring out whether we're supposed to be friends with our coworkers this right. <laughs> 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 exactly.
0: <laughs> yes And so it was it was really awkward. I mean, that was my best way to describe it. Is it was just very uncomfortable and awkward. And and then you have, people's personalities also affecting that because we went through surrogacy twice. So in as I reflect upon it, the first surrogacy experience was much harder than the second one. But I contribute that to a couple of things. One is personalities, because she was very quiet and I'm a pretty quiet person. Whereas the second surrogate, she's just very um, she's very energetic. She was very outgoing. And so it's just easier to speak to her. But I think also it was easier To have that relationship move really much quicker because i had the previous surrogacy experience i knew what to expect i was able to sort of guide the process of how to build our relationship but with the first one it was just very difficult and it was tough in the beginning because she wasn't pregnant yet so we would do she would do the testing and i would check up on her but there aside from just asking her how she's doing there wasn't really anything that we could bond over at that point Mm -hmm. the moment she became pregnant though it switched and it ended up becoming like sort of as if she were a family member that i was constantly checking up on on her how she was doing physically mentally emotionally all of those things and it became this role of like i'm caring for her i'm concerned for her truly and and it's okay for me to constantly check up on her and she was okay with that and the more that we had to talk about you know like especially when she could start to feel the babies in her belly then it just became you know it just became easier mm-hmm. and during those earlier conversations when we got to learn about each other and it just we were following each other for a year almost so following along on how her kids were doing my kids were doing all of that you know we built a relationship and so but i mean that it was tough going because we started from scratch and I had no guardrails and it was just trying to figure it out. And this is not to say that you have to become friends and have these in-depth conversations with your surrogate. I mean, I know other people now who did the complete opposite. They hardly interacted with a surrogate. They don't keep in touch with their
1: surrogate afterward. They're very, very, very almost like transactional or like just just utilitarian. Right. As for for those who are considering this route, uh, uh, is there a point in the process where you like interview surrogates or that you see like resumes? What, what is that like in terms of making that connection or that pairing?
0: Yep. And so you start off by, well, I mean, there are many ways to do it, but the way we did it both times is we used a, a a surrogacy company who would have, um, surrogates who we, they would match you with and it would take, it took at least half a year for us to finally get to the top of the wait list. And then once we were there, they submitted dossiers to us, um, applications of the where the circuit would answer a bunch of questions. We would get their history, their education, their medical history, all of that. And uh, from there, we would decide if, if we would like to interview her and her partner. And, sure. and then we would do something like this, we, where it was like a Zoom connection or something like that. And after that interview, we both have, it's really fast turnaround because there's such a, a long wait list. I think it was like forty-eight hours where we had to say yay or nay to this partner. Wow. Um and and it had to be, you know, from both sides. So we went through a handful, I would say a handful of resumes before we decided before we decided to actually have an interview with someone. Yeah. And it was weird because it was kind of like I was going through like I was at work, like I was in HR and I was going through these resumes. Except I was being almost as like a Seinfeld episode where I would nitpick the tiniest little thing. And it would be, it would just, I'd have to sit there and question myself and be like, am I just being too picky here? But then I thought, no, like, this is a huge, this is a huge deal. I'm asking this person, a stranger that I don't know to do to carry our children. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's okay. It's okay for me to be nitpicky that, you know, that she misspelled this word, like, yeah. like <laughs> thing. it really truly felt like a Seinfeld episode. Um, <laughs> but you know, it ended up working out. I mean, she's lovely. We still keep in touch with her. Um,
1: it, it, the, the first surrogate. Yep, yeah. 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 So, as, so as that, you know, pregnancy went along, What were, you know, what was like the third trimester, like as, as you got close and I guess, you know, ultimately what was it like, you know, are you, are you in there, you know, in the room when, when she has the children, how does that work?
0: Well, uh, for our first surrogate, we were living out East and she was, um, on the West coast. So we were not able to, she was able to give us, um, a heads up and my husband flew out because Mm -hmm. I was still with the i was still with the three younger children so he yeah. he he flew out and I, I really wish he had like a gopro camera at the time because <laughs> he did not and so he flew there he barely made it it was snowing and he had to just book it from from the airport to the hospital he made it just in time um for them to be delivered but right as they were being delivered so and then i got the phone call at home um but to backtrack a little bit you know that third trimester i i describe it as well as i finally got to understand what my husband felt like all these years because i felt like i was just sitting on the sidelines and just watching Mm -hmm. this process happen not to me and trying and wanting to help out in some way but not really knowing how and mm. it was I didn't realize it at the time I realized it after and I thought my god this is this is exactly what my husband must have felt all those years that I was trying to conceive once I was finally pregnant and um it kind of sucked, <laughs> it kinda sucked ah. to <laughs> not to sort of be in it but not quite fully and not knowing what to do but just seeing it all unfold in front of you. Um, that part was hard for sure.
1: Yeah. Well, it's about time we consider men. We have gotten the short end of the stick for so long in the, in society, in society. I'm completely joking, but, um, I mean, what, what was that like for you emotionally? You said, you, you said it was, it was odd being on the outside looking in. Um, did, did that get, did that get, you know a- any better as the third trimester went along or
0: it did and i think it was because we had the babies to discuss in the beginning it was all a head game of of self-worth and feeling judgmental about oneself and one's abilities or lack thereof of being able to carry the pregnancy um it was i i really had to get out of my head in the beginning because um i just felt I felt so sad about it. And I mean, surrogacy, like there's just so many emotions that are wrapped into it. So feeling of shame and guilt and those were the many things that I that I had to sort of navigate in the beginning. And I had to consciously check it at the door every time I'd hop on the phone with her so that I could get out of my head of feeling jealous that she was the one doing it, feeling bad about myself because I wasn't the one in the, in the, way, in the doctor's office and, and check all of that at the door so that when she was speaking to me, I could really be in that moment with her and, and pivot to joyfulness and appreciation and all of these other things that I wanted to feel. Um, so it was really difficult with that first one because of all of those things that come, I think, with surrogacy, just not being able to be the one to carry. You have all these expectations that you're a woman and that you're supposed to be able to carry children and that that is one of your main roles in life. And when you're not able to fulfill it, I mean, you feel pretty terrible.
1: Maybe I'm reaching here but did that create a bond or, a, or a, a unique new closeness between you and your husband? Because the two of you were somewhat on the sidelines together?
0: Yeah, no, that's that's a great question that no one has ever asked. Because I feel like it definitely did. I finally could understand where he was coming from. And yeah. we finally were experiencing something. I mean, it wasn't completely the same. Because we were coming at it from different angles. Um, but we were it was much closer the experience than it had been previously. And so, you know, we were able to talk about the pregnancy from that angle, from sort of being outsiders and giving updates to each other about what was happening versus before it was me telling him like, this is what's happening and this is how I feel. And this is, you know, this you're not understanding and blah, blah, blah. Whereas now you're right. I mean, we were able to really just engage in it together from a different perspective
1: all right josephine i need to take a quick moment and say a few words about some of my super duper chair sponsors of Forty Thousand steps radio i learned in rehab at gateway foundation that being an alcoholic didn't make me a bad person it made me a sick person and no different than someone with cancer or diabetes and during my time at gateway i started finally getting healthy again Folks, we're living through stressful, unprecedented times, and the temptation to turn to alcohol and drugs to cope with that stress and anxiety, it's stronger now than ever before. Stop using now before it's too late. Gateway Foundation is here for you and your family with life-saving inpatient, as well as virtual programs, so you can access the help you need from the privacy of your home. Don't wait to get the help your loved one needs. Most insurance plans are accepted. Call Gateway Foundation now at 877-505-HOPE. That's 877-505-4673 to schedule a free confidential consultation, or you can visit gatewayfoundation.org and get the help that you need today. You know, I'm an anxious person. Well, I'm really worried about my good friend, Mother Earth. And that's why I love Bamboo Works. Bamboo Works creates stylish, sustainably made, high-quality sports apparel. Headbands, wristbands, gaiters, beanies, even performance masks. The wristbands, they've got this pocket where you can put your ID or frozen gel packs. Bamboo Works does more than athletic apparel. You got to check out their amazing trucker hat. It's got that rubber enclosure, so if you're like me and you like to flip the cap around, it's not gonna leave that annoying dent in your forehead. Bamboo Works sources its product materials in eco-friendly, sustainable manner. This goes beyond the apparel. They're focused on sustainability when it comes to production and their packaging. We're all trying to do our part to take care of the planet, but shouldn't we look good doing it? That's where Bamboo Works comes in. Visit BambooWorks.com, that's B-A-M-B-U-W-E-R-X.com to learn more, or head to 40,000steps.com to check out BambooWorks' exclusive line of 40,000 Steps gear. BambooWorks, skin-friendly, earth-safe, it's apparel for today's active lifestyle. Folks, if you or someone you love might have an issue with drinking, drugs, mental illness, or anger management, it's time to get in touch with my friends at DUI and Behavioral Health Counseling Centers here in Northern Illinois. It's time to set up an assessment. You've got nothing to lose. Depending on your situation, the assessment could be free. My friend Ron Parch and his team use their 25 years of experience to build an individualized treatment plan that's confidential and effective. They approach people in distress with respect, and I cannot stress enough how important that is, to feel respected when you're going through something. DUI and Behavioral Health Counseling Centers has offices in Sycamore, Plano, and Crystal Lake. Check out duisycamore.com, or call 815-895-9000 and set up an evaluation today. Write this down, folks. Call 815-895-9000, visit duisycamore.com, or you can email DUIbhs at gmail.com. And back to our conversation. Here's an obvious question that I haven't asked yet. You, you adopted your son, and then the twins that you carried, boy and girl. Uh-huh. yes, a boy and a girl. Oh, oh nice. lucky guess. Uh, and then and then for the, for the first surrogate. Boys. Both boys. All right. So, your husband, your husband comes home with those twin boys? Oh, no. So,
0: I flew out with the kids. They finished up school and we flew out and we actually had to stay there. It was pretty wild because you can't fly back with kids and it was a little too far for us to drive. So, we had to stay out there and wait for a couple of weeks. But instead of staying at a hotel, we found a very distant relative who we took over their whole basement with this new set of this huge family. They were quite generous. Not,
1: not, a, not, not an unfinished basement, I hope. <laughs> <laughs> that would be a little wild.
0: It was actually, I wish it were because it was, it's not someone that we were very close with, but they they were art collectors. Mm-hmm. And I, oh. had, um, I, had, I had the really little kids and the babies and, I was already a mess to begin with. So it's like chasing these children, making sure they stayed in the basement, not going upstairs so that they wouldn't break or anything or like ruin it. <laughs> it was
1: terrible. <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: oh my God, that's funny. Well, what, what was it like when you met them though? Those those two little boys?
0: It was, it was, this is a great,
1: great question.
0: Uh, it was wild to finally see them. It was different because, you know, it was kind of like meeting our, our first son when we went to Kazakhstan to to finally meet him. It's kind of like that because I hopped on a plane, I went to a place I didn't know, and, and then there he was. And uh, it was different in that I had been, like, dreaming of him, um, but I hadn't had any updates about his, mm. like... His conception and all these things. So that was the difference with, between these boys. Is that I had been following their their growth and their you know um, the pregnancy from the very beginning. So I had a little bit more um, when I finally did meet them. But mm-hmm. it was that same moment of a different sort of relief and that they were okay, that they were safe, and mixed in with that joy of, my God, they're finally here. I can't believe, like, after all of this, after all the paperwork, after all of the waiting, that they were finally here. It was, it was amazing.
1: How long ago was this?
0: Um, this was, they are six now.
1: And, all right, so let's let's figure out where this is. When does mindfulness come into the picture?
0: Uh, right after they were.
1: <laughs> okay. <laughs> the
0: okay because i about was right. just i was it was a mess i couldn't figure out how to handle two sets of twins mm-hmm. and
1: okay. how how old were the how old was the first set at that point
0: um at that point they were six six years old what the, the gap is right now they're 13 so they were they just turned seven
1: okay yeah okay so gotcha ready. all right so th- so they're a, a little self-sufficient Oh well, yeah yeah yeah
0: uh-huh so yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> but but but, the, but at that point they're self-sufficient in a in kind of a bad way at times, because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. they're because they're developing a sense of independence. So you so you're trying to play the install guardrails, right?
0: Right. While you have infants, yeah. yeah, yeah. So it was it was very chaotic, and that's when I tried to do all the stuff that I normally do, which was. Um, exercising it was a huge thing for me it was just a big mental component for me but i didn't have time to do that now and so i you know friends had kept suggesting mindfulness meditation and i just kept saying no like this is not and this is what i hear from many people nowadays i can't do it i can't turn my mind off i'm type a there's just this is not gonna work for me um, i'm not gonna mm-hmm. be able to sit still and you name it all the excuses but at this point, I was grasping at straws. I needed something. So I thought, okay, well, now they have these apps. So let's give it a shot. And uh, I was hooked. I loved it.
1: So, so it, but it wasn't easy the first couple of times. Was oh, it? no,
0: it wasn't. I mean, I had, I no- knew, <laughs> I mean, these were these were very short snippets. They would be about mm-hmm. a minute, you know, a minute of breathing, a minute where I can get away. No one needs to be changed, no one's screaming. But a minute was just immensely helpful. Uh, I, I had felt like I had been going back to this whole breathing thing. I felt like I had been holding my breath as I'm like trying to navigate all these children. I am taking short, shallow breaths, which certainly was not it was not helping me. It was making me even more stressed. And now I finally had just a minute where I could just let go and mm-hmm. take these deep breaths and it would be enough to at least keep me going for until the next pause that I could take
1: (laughs) and so it probably starts becoming two minutes three minutes a little more and you know we've talked we've talked a lot about like sort of you know misperceptions uh so many folks think that as they dabble with mindfulness and meditation when they first get into it that it's all a matter of just like keeping your brain completely clear for minutes at a time but really what I've found, and I'm not very good at it yet. And the thing is, I'm not consistent with it. It's something that I'm working on to get more consistent with it. But the mind is going to wander. The mind is going to automatically think about like, okay, what do I need to get from the grocery store later? Or what What does automata mean? Or like just whatever random thing pops into your head. But it's really a matter of just diverting, like acknowledging those thoughts, and then diverting back to, to getting back in your own, your own head. And, and, and I, I, I guess, tell me what that process was like for you was sort of embracing the fact that it it's okay to have these random thoughts. It's a matter of acknowledging them and coming back to center.
0: Yes. Perfectly described exactly how mindfulness works in the brain. I've had all of those different thoughts that you described as I was trying to, as a many times I've meditated and, and you're right. So I, I describe it as um, it is how you kind of approach life. What happens in your mind as you're sitting there is what happens in life. There's never a moment where, where you're not, you know, you're doing something and then a distraction hits you. Well, then what are you going to do to get back to what it is that you're trying to do? Right? You need to figure out a solution. You can get distracted, sidetracked, and go off course, or you can figure out a way to table that and go back to what you're doing. And that's what happens when you're meditating, when you're practicing some sort of mindfulness strategy. You are trying to do what you're doing. You're trying to center yourself, trying to breathe, trying to get grounded. And then that, that grocery list pops up in your mind. So you could attach to it and then start to feel bad about yourself because you're messing it up and it's not going the way you had planned. Or you can acknowledge that, okay, well, this happens, and this is going to keep happening. Grocery list, got it. I'll get back to it. I'm not going to judge myself for this because we have thousands of thoughts that happen in our mind. And then let me get back to what it is that I was doing. So it's in a mantra. Let me repeat that again a couple of times to get back into into things Or or let me breathe, whatever it is I was doing. And so <clears throat> for myself, it was it was hard to reconcile sort of what my experience, how it was unfolding versus what I had expected. Because like many people, I thought, I did have to clear my mind. And and I thought I wasn't doing this right. And so the type A in me was thinking, I'm not doing this right, I don't wanna keep doing this. I need to figure out how to do this properly and perfectly. <laughs> and the more and more I sat with it, um, And this especially became true once I did the teacher training. Once I finally had like a mentor to really guide me into what I would really reasonably expect to happen and then guiding me on the process of just letting go, um, Mm -hmm. that's been a big thing for me throughout the whole, you know, many years of trying to conceive is just this trying to control everything. And it just played out as well in in my thoughts. Like, I need to control what's happening here. I need to make it empty. And so that was a huge awakening for me. And it still happens to this day. I mean, I've been doing it for years, but I still have thoughts. Every day is different. Every day, you know, one day it'll be much easier. Another day it'll be super stressful because I have a lot of things to do. And so there are so many thoughts in my brain that I have to check at the door. And that's how it goes. So there's
1: a case. There's a case to be made that if you can do it, anybody can. <laughs> <laughs> yes. given, give, given your personality type and all of all of the patterns that had formed of always wanting to control, and sort of you know living in fear that if you don't control, uh, that, that that something bad is going to happen. So how? Uh, just out of curiosity, like. Uh, you, your upcoming book is find uh, five minute mindfulness for pregnancy, which you can get a lot done in five minutes of mindfulness. But how long could you meditate? If like, like, what's the longest that you can go out of curiosity?
0: um, I've gone maybe like, well, it depends. So if I'm doing like, there are de- different ways of doing it. Some people consider sound bath meditation, and I mm. love sound baths. So for those that could be those are an hour long. And when I do classes that are taught by other instructors, those classes are 45 minutes long. So, you know, I guess I'd say probably an hour has been the longest. Um, If I'm just doing it myself, then, you know, probably max out at 20 or 30.
1: I mean, this is leading to the question because my mind kind of wanders all over the place. I'm wondering like, one of the biggest things that I struggle with is the itch. Are you able to because, you know, when when you when you read a lot of Buddhist teachings, it's like if you simply ignore the itch, eventually it's going to run its course and it will go. Are you able to do that? Because I, for the life of me, cannot ignore the itch. Like if I if I have like a little itch on my face or my arm or something like that.
0: I love this question. This is a great question. So what happens, though, when you're considering the itch is that you are having a conversation in your mind. And and that's you know for me that's what I feel like mindfulness constantly is it's this constant conversation with yourself and yes we're supposed to have our minds clear but really it's being able to tune into ourselves as well and I think that requires a dialogue so I there are times when that itch is just just too massive you have to go for it mm-hmm. <laughs> and then there are other times <laughs> where I feel up to the challenge and I want mm-hmm. to be able to go back to what it is I was doing. So I'll practice and I'll try it. And usually having that sort of mental conversation is enough for it to dissipate. And And then you're like, well, it's not that itchy anymore. <laughs> I don't really want to, I don't need to do that. But definitely there are times when I have to.
1: Yeah. But, but I mean, there's something to be said for like the training of mindfulness is being able to like acknowledge that itch. And if you really got it, you scratch it and then you come back to center, which builds a skill. It, it, it builds your ability to meditate. One thing that I love about this conversation that we're having, because like I said, my, my brain tends to hop all over the place, but there is a natural progression of this conversation given that we're going through your timeline. So it's easy for me to get back into the flow here and ask, okay, you have five children at this point. You're getting into mindfulness. Uh so you decide to go the surrogate route again? Is this the similar situation where you know that there are more embryos? Is is that the the motivating factor once again? Yep,
0: same same letter, different uh, actually same facility sending us the same letters, and yeah. this time these were the last ones, and so it was that same idea of well, this one was harder though. This one definitely was this one i'll have to be honest i was easy i i I could have made that decision to just to pick one of the options Mm -hmm. maybe not the donating maybe not the throwing i don't know i i I felt like i could have made a decision but but then the more and more we um thought about it it just it just didn't work for us Mm -hmm. but you know that's because we had we had the ability to make this choice, right? If we didn't have the ability to, I mean, the decision would be made for us. Mm -hmm. Surrogacy is not something that you can just walk into and just be able to do. Not many people are able to do it. It is just so cost prohibitive. It's like combining adoption and IVF together, it's absurd. And so we were lucky that we had this amazing choice to make and that we were able to pursue it. Um, but it was a little bit trickier, which is why there was another big gap in, in the kids. So my, my boys are six and the girls are turning one in a couple of weeks. So that's, um, that's five An- another years.
1: five years. Yeah. yeah. So girls then. Yep.
0: So we have each type of twin variation. Yeah.
1: <laughs> that's so wild. Uh, my, my, my wife and I have twin girls. Oh, okay. And I think, you know, kind of the, the, I don't know if everybody has the hope, but for me, it was like, boy, it'd be wonderful if if we had a boy and a girl, when we found out that they were girls though, I was so much happier than if they, (laughs) if they both would have been boys. Like I wanted to have a daughter so bad. So when we found out that we had girls, I, I thought at the time, and it's been confirmed over and over again, that we absolutely hit the jackpot with, with our little girls.
0: Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah. The boy, boy energy. Wow. We're feeling it.
1: <laughs> uh, well, and boys are just so gross, and they grow up, and it, I, I'm kind of, I'm kind of kidding, but I mean, my, hey, our girls are only a couple of years away from puberty, so things are about to get really gross and strange, and and so, if I could somehow just capture them at eight years and keep them there, this this is the most fun age mm-hmm. I, I, that that we've encountered so far. So, you decide to go the surrogate route. Do you find what was it like when you once again find out that it's not one but two?
0: It was. It was kind of a moment where it's like, well, of course.
1: I mean, been there, done that.
0: Yeah,
1: <laughs> of course it is. Sir, <laughs> <It's our> luck.
0: <laughs> we should go to Vegas.
1: <laughs> right. Right. It, yeah.
0: It was. Well, you had to mentally prepare yourself for it when you decide to put in the number of embryos. So you you have to really walk into it. I feel like at least that's what we do. We have to prepare ourselves for the fact that okay, you know what? We're just going to have twins. This is just what we should expect. And and then if it's not, then that's okay. We'll 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 grieve that. We'll figure that out. Um, so it wasn't it wasn't like we were blindsided each time, at least with the two surrogates. Even with the, with the one the set that I carried, you know, we knew we were putting in two. So we just had to get in that head game for it.
1: Mhm. So they're about to turn 1.
0: They're about to turn 1 in a few weeks.
1: Wow. How like how complete do you and your and your husband feel now? I, I, obviously 7 is enough, right?
0: <laughs> <laughs> there are no more in the freezer. There are no more. <laughs> yeah. Um it is wild although every time we look at them I it's I just think gosh. I couldn't imagine, couldn't imagine life without these, these two. It's mm-hmm. so wild that way. I mean, it makes this a whole other level of craziness right now. And uh, <laughs> where,
1: where, where are all of they? Are, are you on your <laughs> own, or how are you doing this? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, well, and you've got the blue sky in the back. It's so like you're. This is so soothing watching you <laughs> with the clouds drifting by.
0: <laughs> That's true. Um, babies are downstairs, six-year-olds are at kindergarten, 13-year-olds are at middle school, and I hope the eldest woke up, but he's a teenager. They, they love to sleep. It's driving me nuts. I
1: hear that. <laughs> I hear that. Well, well, I, I know you went to the University of Chicago and, and we live like right outside of Chicago. Where are you now?
0: I'm in Los Angeles. I never thought I'd end up here, but yeah, I was born and raised in Chicago.
1: Okay, so eight, 8 forty-seven a.m. That's not too late for a teenager. Come on.
0: Uh, <laughs> uh, there's a lot of scrambling this morning.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, oh, but I, uh, I, boy, I'm such a dingus. I forgot he's got to be in school. Yep. He, exactly. Okay. Are, are you Are you sure he got there? I don't know. <laughs>
0: we'll find out when i walk out of this door
1: (laughs) oh great oh wonderful well we should probably wrap this up um i mean tell me about the new book like one thing that i find interesting is that you already wrote a book that's out there mindfulness journal for parents Mm -hmm. yep the new one five minute mindfulness for pregnancy I guess explain the title and sort of the 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 intention with the book. First off, I mean we think back to like eight minute abs. It's nice to think that, oh, I can get a lot done in five minutes. But so I mean there's an allure there that people can realize I can really accomplish a lot in five minutes. But then rather than for parents, it's for pregnancy now. Is was, was that a like a deliberate shift of of tack?
0: I started with parents because that was top of mind for me. I get so many questions. Mom five or mom of seven, um, how are you able to use your mindfulness? And so I made a quick book. It was, it's like a journal that a parent can use with, without their child. And, and in my dealings with mindfulness and meditation, I start with people who are trying to conceive since that's, you know, that's so close to my heart and that's my background up until and through they become parents. And so it just seemed like, well, you know what, if, if, it's really hard to start a habit when you're in the thick of things, when you're in parenthood and you're trying to navigate all of these new things and challenges. Wouldn't it be better if we could get them beforehand? If, you know, if they could have started while they were preparing for parenthood during their pregnancy, it just makes it that much easier for them to let that habit stick, to be able to go back to it. If they fall off to, if they have done it while they were while they were pregnant like during those nine ten months and even before when they were trying to conceive if they were able to have like a five-minute practice or know the strategies that they can use when they start to feel overwhelmed when they start to feel anxious um and have that in place before you know before they become parents and so that was the idea with the second book with the five-minute mindfulness for pregnancy is that as I witnessed myself because I saw it unfolding for myself. When these babies came, um, I had, I had my practice down set. I, had, I was doing it twice a day for like 20, 30 minutes as anchor bookmarks of my day in the morning and the evening. And it was beautiful. It got me through so many challenges in the midst of COVID and everything. It was, it was there for me. But when I, when I became one, we, found out we were pregnant with the last set of twins and then they finally arrived that, that whole practice that I had, it, it got, it got a little messed up to be honest. Yeah. And I was fortunate though, that I was able to utilize the strategies in a completely different way. I was able to figure out, well, okay, I can't do it the way I was doing it before, but that doesn't mean that I can't still do it. I'm not going to beat myself up about it even though I did for a little bit. And that's okay. That's okay. It's awareness. Mm. It's diving right. into that. But now that I've felt all those feelings and I'm aware that this is happening, let's figure out how we can still fit it into our our, our life so that we can still just manage all the ups and downs. And so there were things like you know what, I'm going to start breathing when I'm rocking them in the rocking chair. I'm going to do these breathing techniques there. Or that's when I'll be able to just sort of use the baby as my point of focus and sort of creating that connection and allowing everything else to, to sort of melt away, yeah. right, as you would do in a meditation. But if I didn't have the training beforehand, if I had not done this prior to them, to their existence, to their, them joining our lives, it would have been so hard i mean yeah. i that's how i approach my teachings and, and my books of just coming from a place of reality uh mm-hmm. having gone through all of this is that i i know how hard it is going to be to introduce something
1: and, and like you said with, with the book then you're being very proactive and giving people the tools rather than reactive once they're in the thick of it uh so obviously you know the book is going to be incredibly like completely invaluable for folks who who need those tools. I'm not sure whether it explores this at all, but I, I want to wrap up by kind of flipping it on its head. Uh, what about for me and for anybody who has their little family or never wanted kids, whatever their circumstances are, I have a lot of friends in my life who are trying to get pregnant right now and who are going through ivs and trying a lot of things and it's not working and they're struggling how can i best support somebody in my life who is going through this because i have to think that 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 would have been huge for you to have people who who supported you the right way as you were going through that what what can i do as 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 an ally so to speak
0: this is a very thoughtful question i really appreciate you being able to um, bring this up and and have this in the conversation because it's such a difficult um, place to be in. And what people tend to do, what I've found and what I've heard in the community is that people want to help you and it can come off in just kind of the worst ways sometimes because they're trying to offer you advice, they're trying to comfort you with the words and the words and the advice just aren't really what they want to hear and it just Mm -hmm. rubs the wrong way so we've found and I say a collective we by advocates and clients and you name it that sometimes you just want to know that a person is there for you to listen and just simply saying you know what you're going through a hard time or I know that you just went through this one cycle or that you're waiting for a cycle and all of this, so if you ever need to just vent or just talk about it, I am here to listen. And if you want to hear any advice, I'm happy to share with you, but I'm just here to listen to you. Uh, And sometimes knowing that you have a safe space where you won't be judged about what you're talking about, where they're not going to say something inadvertently that might hurt your feelings when you're already in this very vulnerable state, it means a lot, so just offering that, and I feel like that can be applied to all other aspects of life
1: <laughs> it's it's a it's universal. a total universal theme. It's a total universal theme because when when somebody tries to fix my problems, I lock up when somebody tries to offer advice. Uh, my uh, one of the counselors who I saw uh, I I'm, I'm constantly in the market for the right counselor. It's this eternal journey, which I think is healthy. Uh, but I had a counselor who shared this story with me and this really points out the importance of a preposition. It was a story of somebody who had just lost a family member had just cut, had the funeral had just wrapped up and they had walked down to a pier and were sitting on the edge of the pier, their feet dangling, just, So tired of everybody in the funeral home saying, I'm here for you. I'm here for you. I'm here to help you. And he's sitting on the edge of this pier and a friend walks up. He hears the footsteps coming and he's like, "If so help me God. If you say that I'm here for you, I'm going to absolutely lose my mind. And the friend sits down. He's like, I'm not here for you. I'm just, I'm here with you. And made all the difference in the world. It's like, we don't need to, we don't need to solve anything. There might not be any answers. I'm just here with you. I love that. Me too. Me too. So, (laughs) so yeah, it absolutely is a universal theme. I need to let you go to make sure that everything's running on schedule, (laughs) but this is, but this has been such a pleasure. And I can't thank you enough for, uh, for providing a little education and some levity and just, just, uh, just your vulnerabilities is is absolutely terrific. So I appreciate everything that you do.
0: Well, thank you so much for the conversation. It was this great conversation and I appreciate the opportunity to share.
1: It's been a blast. All right. Take care of yourself. And I can't wait to read the book. When does it come
0: out? It released today, actually. No, Yeah. really?
1: Well, that's great. Then I can direct everybody to go out and buy it immediately. That's awesome. I appreciate it. (laughs) All right. Take care of yourself. Thanks. You too. All right. bye. Bye. All right, gang. I'm certain that you took something from that. If you are trying to be an ally, please, please share this podcast with somebody who's going through the difficult process of building their little family. Please rate the podcast. Please you know, give it a review. Share it. Please just share it out there because you never know who's going through something. Share it with your friends. Share it with your enemies. Put it on your Facebook page, on your MySpace page. MySpace isn't a thing anymore, but that was fun. I cannot thank Josephine at Lurie enough for coming on here and chatting with me. And I'm so grateful for y'all until we catch back up here. Just remember that if it feels like things are falling apart outside this space right here, We are always coming together. I love you, folks. I hope you know that. Take care of yourselves and each other, and we'll catch up soon. Peace. We out.